Ford left his guitar at home, so he had to get one out of the nursery. <laughs> Where's my rim shot for that? Where's the drummer? Where's the drummer? <laughs> hey, we want to dismiss the kids for workshop. Let's cheer for our kids. Come on, to make some noise for our children. Well, we're excited about our kids. Those kids are going to be leading us one day. You with me? We're not going to be that generation of people that says to them, you got to do it the way we did it. We're going to be cheering them on. We're going to fund their dreams. We're going to get behind them. We're going to follow them. We're going to let them lead us. We're not, we're not going to be that cantankerous, right, older person that's just always grumbling. We want to see our children run after their destinies, and we want to be the ones that are just pushing them out, pushing them out there. Come on. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we are in this uh, series, that this is our third week called City Life After Dark, and we've been talking a little bit about the name of our church, why we're called the City Life Church, that we're going to be a church in the city with the message of life. We've been explaining about what this phrase means, and if you want to hear more of the story of how that phrase came into being and why we use that here at City Life, you can hear the first week's podcast. We talk about that in greater detail, but just suffice it to say that City Life After Dark is not so much about something that we do, it's about something that we are. It's about a, it's about a resolve that we have as a church community that we're going to stop being a person that denies ourselves some of our deepest needs. And one of the deepest needs that you and I share is to give ourselves permission to ask the questions that we have about faith and spirituality. Right? So many people, right, and many of us, it's been our own journey. We're just afraid to tell people that we've got questions. What does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean to really be a follower of Christ? What, what, is it, what does it mean to be a part of a church? All of these questions we know that are stirring in all of our hearts. We want to be a, a church that says, we're not saying we've got all the answers, but we know the one who does. And what we're saying is let's go on a journey together and ask those questions because he's got all the answers that you and I could ever hope for. Let's be a congregation of people that stops denying ourselves some of our deepest needs. All right, so we like to do some giveaways here at the City Life Church. Every week we like to do some giveaways just to celebrate the goodness of God. And so somebody who's never participated in a participation, I can't even say the word, in a participation moment before. You know who you are. Come on. You know you've got answers and you're just, you're, you're, you're too timid, so we're, we're, we're just, we're calling you out. Come on. If you've never participated before. So over the last two, each week, we're picking a certain story in the Bible to dig around in. So the first week, we talked about a certain parable, and last week, we explored a certain conversation between two people. So somebody, somebody who's never gotten a giveaway, never raised their hand in a moment like this before. All right, Dylan, give me one of them. You know one of the answers? What's one of the stories of the Bible that we've looked at the last two weeks? Do you know? Nope. All right. Okay. All right. It's a good try. <laughs> That's great. Nope. Got no idea what you're talking about. All right. Somebody. Somebody else. Somebody. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Nice. Nice. You got $10 AMC gift card. So the, so the first week we did the parable of the Good Samaritan. So somebody last week... We explored, Jesus had a conversation with somebody, and we dug around in that story for a little while. Somebody, come on. If, 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 if you're not, we'll open it up to the whole church. Come on, somebody. Nicodemus, all right. There's an iTunes gift card stand. Stan's a music guy. Stan's a music guy. They'll tell you how to use that over there, that section over there. He probably knows. He probably knows. I have to get Derek to show me, so I'm just, I'm just confessing that. Derek, how do, I, how do I do this? How do I do this? All right, so we want to 
get our, 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 our thoughts moving in the right direction tonight. And so uh, every week we've been sharing City Life stories. You, you enjoying those? Nate Nowotny's been leading the team that's been filming those, doing a great job with those. They're amazing. And so, so every week we want to just share with you somebody who's been on a journey with us asking some questions. Let's watch this one together. I guess my story starts out just like many other people's story. You know, growing up in a loving house, church is a big part of, of what we do every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Um, everything revolves around, you know, the church and, uh, you know, no excuse for not missing it. When I turned 18, I uh, crossed that threshold into uh, manhood. Uh, society feels that you're uh, able to live on your own, and uh, I took that to mean that I was able to live on my own as far as my walk with God, too. So um, when I left home, I, I left going to, to church on a regular basis. Figured I knew enough to. Uh, to make it through on my own. As I look back on my life during the, uh, the younger years of, of adulthood, there's a, a lot of times where if Jesus would have been a focus in my life, things would have turned out a, a lot better. In 2004, I met my current girlfriend, Carolyn. Uh, we've been together now for eight years and uh, we've had our ups and downs. Um, once we hit rock bottom, uh, she introduced me to a, uh, a couple of friends of hers, the Ruggiero's, Steve and Lori. Um, after talking to Steve on the phone several times, I remember finally breaking down and, and saying, Steve, I need some help. Uh, there's people in your life that uh, either can bring you up or can bring you down and Steve is one of those people that can definitely bring you up. Uh, Steve was running a men's group at the time and uh, he sent me a text one day and said, meet me here, 8 o'clock Saturday morning. And that was a big turning point in my life to realize that there's folks out there not only going through the same struggles that I am, but folks out there that are willing to spend the time and, and efforts to help with that. So after a year of men's group, um, Steve, enlightened me on a, a small simple fact that uh, the issues that we were facing at home was because God was not part of, of our household. And one week he called me up and said, uh, Paul, you need to take Friday and Saturday off. That was my first taste of City Life Church, the men's retreat in 2011. 
The guys that weekend showed me a life that I was missing, a walk that I was missing, a journey that I was missing out on, and has completely turned around my focus in the past year just being around the men at Sea Life Church. The last year of my life has just been one of amazement to me. God is, is a God of, of second chances and I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, have a second chance with, with, with God and a second chance with, with Carolyn. Um, and I, I give all the grace and the glory to God and the friends and family that I've met through the City Life Church. Come on, you can clap. That's good stuff, isn't it? It's powerful. You got to love that line where, where, where he calls and he says, I need help, right? I mean, when you find yourself in a place of life, when you've got a lot more questions than you do answers, you can't make it forward on your own and by yourself. You need a group of people. And if it's not this church, we're not here to build the city. If it's not this church, then find a church somewhere. I did a men's retreat this weekend, Friday night, and in and, uh, and the first half of today for Grace Church, a church that Chris Halloran that preached here on uh, over the summer. And uh, phenomenal church. There's, there's so many great churches here. And so you cannot walk on this road by yourself. You've got to tie in. You, you were made and born to have a spiritual family. And we're also just saying, if you are checking out the City Life Church, see, when you go to church on Saturday night, you get to go fishing on Sunday morning. I'm just throwing that in. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, so come on. We want to. So we've got a question that we're going to dig around in tonight. We're kind of picking a couple of questions uh, uh, every weekend, and so we've got one that we're going to look at together uh, this weekend, both here at the Williamsburg campus tomorrow morning. So just, just so we can just again get us moving in the right direction. What, what are some popular sayings that you grew up hearing? Most of them, when I grew up here, I didn't even understand what they meant. Right? Like somebody might have said, "Well, you know, Fred, what they say is a, a stitch in time saves nine. Right? I would say, "Okay, I don't know anybody who." says that and you should stop using it because nobody knows what you're talking about right so what are some sayings like that that, that you grew up hearing and 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 or maybe sayings that you use what, what are some sayings like that come on church is a participatory sport here at the city life church dan goes around comes around dan two wrongs don't make a right yeah come on that's good lisa oh come on that's a good one right did you hear that one Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry. My parents knew that same saying. <laughs> knew that same saying. Who? Uh, Chrissy. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms. Nice fat, juicy worms. Nice fat. I don't, does anybody, has anybody else said that? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'm going to eat some worms. That's, anybody, where, did, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Long Island, okay, that's a New York thing. That's nice. See, we're learning. We're learning sayings. Dylan, you're cruising for bruising, right? That went in the same sentence with "I'll give you something to cry about." I'm gonna work my way back over there. Tyler, engage mind before putting mouth in gear. Somebody should tweet that right now. That's a good one. Good one, Becca. Say it again. 
No use crying over spilt milk. Ben? Don't be a Debbie Downer. Nice. Nice. Somebody, you, what are, what are, what are some, some contemporary ones? Are young people? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah, you make your bed hard, you got to lay in it. Yes, yes. These are all things that parents say to their children, right? But any, any, any modern, up-to-date ones? Anybody want to enlighten? No? YOLO. I know, yeah, we did that one right as a church, right? YOLF is the one we use. You only live forever, right? That's Ratchet. That's Ratchet. Nice. I am 45. I have no idea what that means, right? You really just move as a child from not knowing what people are talking about to an older person like myself and not knowing. You have a small window in life where you understand, right, what's being said. Right? Did you ever, like, I grew up, the, the, you would hear the one that people would use is you couldn't see the forest for the trees, right? I never had any idea what that meant. Like when I was 20s, in my 20s, like one day I woke up, I was like, oh, I get that now, right? I get that now, so, yeah, yeah. All right, so let me read some that kids in church sayings. Kids in church sayings. So when I, this is, these aren't mine, this is ones that I found. It says, when I was a child, I learned this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. So the person writes, they, they, they spent their whole childhood thinking God's name was Howard, right? <laughs> See, because church is famous. We got all kinds of sayings in the church, right? And people have no idea what they mean. The next one is this, my mother spent her early childhood saying, Hail Mary, full of grapes. <laughs> All right, I, I got three more, three more. My preschool son always prays, Our Father, who art in heaven, how'd you know my name? <laughs> Isn't that good? That's a deep theological prayer right there. All right, the last two, last two are my favorite. When, when my older brother was very young, he always walked up to the church altar with my mother when she took communion. And on one occasion, he tugged at her arm and asked, what does the priest say when he gives you the bread? And mom whispered something in his ear. Imagine his shock many years later when he took his first communion on his own and learned that the priest doesn't say, be quiet until you get back to your seat. <laughs> Imagine being a kid, brother, and you just think your priest says that to every person. Be quiet until you get back to your seat. Be quiet until you get back to your seat. Oh, it's awesome. All right, this is, this is my favorite one right here. When I was younger, I believed that the line was, lead a snot into temptation. <laughs> listen, listen to what they say. I thought that I was praying for my little sister to get into trouble. <laughs> And lead that snot into temptation, and that snot over there into temptation. You've prayed prayers like that, too. You've just used different words, right, to make it a little bit more, a little bit more. So, so what about this saying right here? This one gets said a lot in, 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 in religious circles. Is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? You might have grown up in a home and a parent said that to you. You might have grown up at home and you went to vacation Bible school and you got all excited that you made a decision to become a Christ follower and maybe your dad at the dinner table says, hey, hey, let's be careful. I, I don't want you to get so heavenly minded that you're going to be of no earthly good. Maybe you've said that to somebody at some point in your life, right? Maybe, maybe you had a friend or maybe your spouse got all excited about being a Christ follower and, and maybe in a, a moment of, of your own doubt and own insecurity that you said that to somebody that you love. Hey, let's, let's be careful that, that we don't get so heavenly minded that we're going to be of no earthly good. And so maybe you walked in here tonight 
And that's a question that you've been asking of yourself as you're exploring this idea of being a devoted follower of Christ. And as we look into Scripture, we find that this very question was in play in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, but really in the opposite direction. In Luke 15, 1 through 2, we find these verses. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Don't you like that that's added in there? They weren't just sinners, they were notorious sinners. I was at the dentist this week and had my six-month cleaning, and they had a new dental hygienist that was that was there, and and so she, you know, they, they know that I I, I pastor a church here in in in, uh, in Newport News, and and uh, so she asked, she said, hey, what did you what did you study in college to to uh, to get prepared for 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 being in the ministry? I said debauchery. That's what I studied in college because I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until I was 23. And so I, I'm using that to, it gives me an opportunity, right, to create some curiosity. They want to know a little bit more about your story. And so I got to talk with her a little bit about how Christ had changed my life. But when, you know, when I was in college, I was a notorious sinner, right? And these are the people that hung around with Jesus. Tax collectors, we've talked about that before. They're the, the traitors, the betrayers of, of, of Israel and, and other notorious sinners. They often came, often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. In in Jesus' day, it was a badge of honor to be so heavenly minded that you were of no earthly good. That's how they kind of measured your spirituality. If you were so religious that you just could not relate to anybody else in the world, then you had arrived, so to speak with spiritual maturity. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he's talking to people about being the son of God, he's talking to people about being the long-awaited Messiah, he's talking to people about being the savior of the world, they were confused. They couldn't understand how somebody who claimed to come from heaven to earth, because that would be the most heavenly-minded person ever, right? Could do so much earthly good. How could a person that came from heaven just so easily relate to the world around them? How could somebody who was the the quintessential picture, the ultimate heavenly-minded person, how could that person just effortlessly relate to notorious sinners? Because, come on, when you're heavenly-minded, you're just of no earthly good. And Jesus says, I'd like to take up that question if you have a few minutes. And as you continue to read in this portion of Scripture, you find that Jesus launches into four parables. We're going to look at the fourth one together this weekend. But the first three, they're famous ones. They're famous ones. It's the parable of the lost sheep. It's the parable of the lost coin. And it's the parable of the lost son. Now, you're going to find this parable being taught by Jesus at other times and in other places in his ministry. And sometimes that can create some confusion because you're thinking, well, maybe the Bible's not trustworthy because in this gospel over here in this book, they talk about Jesus giving this teaching in some other city at some other time that maybe they don't have it right. But Jesus's stuff was good enough. He used it more than once. You with me? So when, you, when it seems as though there's a contradiction, oftentimes it's Jesus was just using this parable and that he preached multiple times a day, every day for three years. Come on, he's reusing some of his messages. When you're the son of God, your material is good enough to do that. Okay, so 
So you find these parables at different places in his ministry. So here he puts them together in a sequence, these three parables, and then he comes around on the tail end and he wraps up with the parable that we're going to look at together tonight. And it's one of the most notorious parables in the Bible because it's so elusive and it can be difficult to understand. And again, we're not saying as a church that our interpretation of it is the end-all, be-all of all interpretations of this text, but we're going to share with you, or I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the answer to this parable. And I think what gives us a little bit of clarity is because we're finding the context right here in Luke 15. Jesus is taking up the question, what does it mean to be heavenly minded? And can that person do any earthly good? That's the question that we're digging around. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to start in verse one. All right, so he's just given the first three. You with me? The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And then it says, he also said to the disciples. So this is the, this is the wrap up to this sermon that Jesus was giving. He said, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and he asked, what is this that I hear about you? Right? It's not how you want your conversations to open up with your boss at work. Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Now, then the manager said to himself, what should I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. Verse five. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master, he asked the first one, right? He's, not, he, he's, he's, he's been given his notice, but he's not been yet relieved of his duties. A hundred measures of oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master, listen to what it says, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. And we're going to talk about this word in just a few minutes, but the word is better rendered wisely. For the sons of this age, now Jesus has given some commentary in his own parable. For the sons of this age are more wise, astute, or shrewd, might be written in your Bible, than the sons of light in dealing with their own People. Verse 9 says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money, so that's your material possessions, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? Or, or another way to, to consider that is with what's eternal. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household, slave, or servant can be a servant to two masters since either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't be a servant to both God and money, right? So the moral of the story is, right, when you get to work on Monday, embezzle as much as you can from your employer and share it with people who you're trying to curry favor with. So, all right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming, right? It's a crazy teaching, isn't it? 
I mean, what, what on earth is Jesus talking about? Why would he give this kind of teaching, which seems, which I don't think that it is, we're going to talk about that, which seems to imply him celebrating dishonesty. But you got to remember the question that he's answering is this, with the crowd that he's in, can a heavenly minded person be of any earthly good? All right, so the first one is this. I believe that, that the heavenly-minded person, part of the teaching of this parable, is that a heavenly-minded person is someone who hears God. Part of what it means to be heavenly-minded is that you have an inner ear, not this ear on the side of your head, but the ear deep in your heart. It's an ear that recognizes the voice of God. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I like to say I feel his voice. And a heavenly-minded person is attuned to the whisper of God in your life. It's not a matter of whether or not God's speaking. He's always speaking. It's a matter of whether or not we're listening. And if we learn to recognize the voice of the Father, our Creator. And this is what Jesus is teaching here in this part of the text. He says, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud. Verse 4 says, I, I know, ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Many times in our lives, right, we think that we're geniuses and it really has nothing to do with our own intelligence. It has to do with the genius of God. And God loves you enough that he doesn't care whether or not he gets the credit. And as you begin to go on this journey as a follower of Christ and then you look back over your life, you'll begin to realize that you're really not as smart as you think you are. That was just the voice of God whispering to you all along the way. The longer you walk with Christ, the dumber you realize you really are, right? And so many of us have lived our lives and we've got moments where we've had a, ah, I know, I know what I'm going to do. And you're thinking to yourself, how on earth did I come up with something like that, right? Well, the, the answer is that you did not. The creator of the universe loves you so much, he wants you to have the answers to the questions that you've got. And even when you don't even know who to ask and you're not even voicing them to him and acknowledging his existence, he doesn't care about those things, he cares about you. And he loves you enough to lead you and guide you and direct you even before you've surrendered your life to him. Nick was praying for, pre I'm telling you, if you don't come to pre-service prayer once a month, you should be here. It's a great time of prayer. We have together from 4.30 to 4.45. And, and Nick O'Cannon, our drummer tonight, was, was leading pre-service prayer. And he got into Psalm 119 a little bit. And that great text where it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The voice of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Even before you realize that he's walking with you to illuminate the way. John, let's look at John 5, verse 30. John 5, verse 30. Listen to what Jesus says. I can do nothing on my own. Okay, this is the Son of God. The very presence of God on the earth. And he's saying of himself, I can't do anything on my own, right? How much more should that be our own confession? I judge only as I hear, or I speak only as I hear. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I'm not saying anything unless I hear it from my father first. Jesus was the most heavenly minded person that's ever walked upon the face of this earth and he had an ear that was attuned to the father like no one else. All right, let's jump over to John 10. John 10. We looked at this one together, these verses at the men's getaway that we had just a couple of weekends ago. John 10, I wanna start in verse two. 
It says, the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and the doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. A heavenly-minded person is a person who hears the voice of God. And as you begin this journey as a follower of Christ, you begin to recognize that voice more and more and more. And the first step is recognizing it. The next step is having the courage to follow it. Does that make sense? He wants you to recognize the voice, but he wants you to recognize the voice because he wants you to follow after the leadings and the promptings that he gives to you. You know, one of the, the, the very first things that I did, right, it was one of my moments where I thought I was a genius, right? And uh, after I had made a decision uh, to, to become a Christ follower, I, I like to call it a vow of devotion in December of 1990. The, the, the church that, that I was a part of then, j- then just outside of Richmond in Mechanicsville, Mechanicsville Christian Center, uh, they did multiple missions trips every year. We're just getting that started. Are you excited about that? Come on, we're going to do some more missions trips coming up in uh, 2013. And, and, uh, and so I thought, right, I had a great idea. Idea. I'm going to go on a, on a missions trip. And so that was one of the first things that I did as a, as a new follower of Christ. And so in the summer of 1991, just about six months after I had made a, a decision for Christ, the, uh, I went on a missions trip to Belize. And it was a team that was doing a vacation Bible school in a war refugee camp for El Salvadorians. And so we went out into the bush of, of Belize. We were out there for about a week and a half. And so you, you got a shower on the, the, the day that you left Bailey City and you come back halfway through the trip to, to bathe again, right? Because there's no electricity, there's no running water, you're just out in the middle of the wilderness and it was, it was the most powerful experience. The kids there for fun would catch tarantulas, I kid you not. That was one of their games that they played. Little kids, I mean little kids, you know, like preschool age kids. They would pour a little bit of water around the hole in the ground and they'd get this piece of dried grass and they'd keep sticking it in the hole until they would feel the tarantula bite and they would jerk it out. And this huge tarantula would come flying out and these little kids would run and just pick it up by its leg, right? And they would chase the girls around. Boys are the same everywhere, everywhere in the world. They had a snake there in Belize they called a three-step Johnny. Because you would get bit by the snake, you would take three steps and then Johnny would die, right? So the whole time you're there, you're thinking, I just, God, I just don't want to die here right, for this, for this week and a half. If I could just survive, you know, that would be, it would be a successful trip for me. So I remember sitting in, in, in this, uh, they had this like little cinder block building that they used as a schoolhouse that we were all bedding down in on, and air mattresses and our bug nets. And, and, uh, and one night after dinner, we were just worshiping a little bit, and, and, uh, and somebody started singing this old chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. Everybody remember that one? I'm not going to sing it for you. I know some of you are really nervous right now because they've heard me sing before. Celeste is like, if there is a God in heaven, whisper to him right now, Father, and tell him not to sing. All the ushers have under strict instruction, and Pastor Fred begins to sing, turn, you know, to take the microphone out of his hand. 
All right, so I'm not going to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. And the chorus would go, the nunga with me, so I will follow. Right? I, and they just keep restating this, singing it over and over and over and, and over. And, and, and I'm singing this song, and all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was six months before that that I had made a vow of devotion to Christ. But that's the moment where something turned in my heart. And tears just began to fall. I mean, I was just so full of God in that moment. And I was just crying. And, and I knew in that moment I was never, ever, ever, ever going to be the notorious sinner that I used to be. We're all still sinners. You with me? We're just not supposed to be keep doing the same kinds of sins over and over. He wants us to go on and conquer new sins in our lives. I wasn't going to go back to the old things. I knew in that moment, in the jungles of Belize, that I had decided to follow Jesus, and there was no turning back. Though none, even if I was going to be at it, even if I was going to be the only person left upon the earth, no, no, no none go with me. Still, I will follow. And I remember just having this overwhelming sense of God's presence in that moment. It was one of the very first times that I really felt his presence in a, pro, in a very real way. And that song awakened me to that moment. That's why worship is, we get so excited about it here. It awakens us to the presence of God, right? So, so one of the things that we would do is that every night, you know, we would have a church service. And, you know, be, being the type A personality American that I was, I always wanted to know what time the church service was. And they would say, well, it's this afternoon. And I said, what time? Well, those are the times they have, right? And a lot in Latin America, there's morning and then there's the daytime and then there's afternoon and evening. It's very just general. It's when enough people get there, then they start, right? And so, so there was a, a church service that, 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 uh, that afternoon and we were doing a special kids program. So all the kids were rushing in and, uh, and there was a special needs kid that was there in his early teens. I brought it here. You can also find some pretty funny pictures of me in here of when I was 23. I did actually have hair. I'm not wearing a wig in this photo album. The kids don't even, the youth, they don't even know what this is. This is a, these are photographs right here. <laughs> they used to have these things called cameras, and you would have to take it and get it developed, and you'd get an envelope. Remember that? You'd get so excited to get your pictures back, and it would take you like a week to get your photos back, and you'd thumb through them. You're looking, and your mom would say, don't put your fingerprints on the pictures, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, little flashback there, right? So I hope you come up after the service. It's... This fellow right here, he was sitting out in front of the church. He was a special needs kid. He was, he, and he was really calm, you know. And all the kids were kind of crowded down to the front and sitting around. And all of a sudden, he has this episode. And he's wailing his arms. He's making all these noises. He's spitting a little bit. And he's a big kid. He's in his, in his preteens. And the kids just, boom, right? They just get as far away from him as they can. So here's this young guy up on the front row all by himself. And I'm sitting in the, in the back. And and for the, one of the first times in my life, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be a heavenly-minded person, and I feel God's voice. He says, I want you to go up there and sit next to him. And I leaned over to the person next to me. I think God's speaking to you. He's just really loud, and I, I think I overheard it. I think I overheard it. I didn't want to go up there, right? I didn't want to be conspicuous, and, but I just feel it. God saying, I want you to go sit next to him. So I get up at the back of that church, and I just go and I plop right next to this guy. He doesn't stop, right? He's just wailing his arm. I'm ducking through the whole service. and He's just wailing his arms. But I, I just wept through that whole. I've never cried so much in my whole life as I did that week and a half in Belize. I just, I felt, I felt so, because you know what the picture is, right? Because God's saying, you know, this is what really you're like on the inside. You're a mess, Fred. You're a stinking, rotten mess. 
And I sit down next to you every day because I love you with all of my heart. I know what he's trying to say to those kids. Hey, you don't have to be afraid of this guy, right? This is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is you gotta love the unlovable. You gotta go where other people aren't willing to go. And, and that trip, I'm telling you, it, it did something in my life that set me on a course that says I wanna be a heavenly-minded person and I wanna learn how to feel the voice of God. And when he speaks, I wanna be one who follows. I want to be one who follows. All right, so this is the next one right here. A heavenly-minded person. We're just going to do two tonight. This is the second one. A heavenly-minded person honors God. So you hear God, and then you honor God. This is verse 5. It says, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. This is out of the New Living Translation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400. So I want to read out of Deuteronomy 23, because this is what I believe what was happening here. Again, there's lots of different interpretations, but I'm the one with the microphone, so I get to give you mine. So Deuteronomy 23. Verse 19, I'm going to tell you why I believe this in just a minute. So this is part of the Mosaic law, part of the instruction that was given to the Israelites. Do not charge your brother interest on money, food, or anything that can earn interest. You may charge foreigners interest, but you must not charge your brother interest so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do in the land that you are entering to possess. How many of you want a mortgage from that company? So this is what I believe that's happening here. I, I don't believe that he was embezzling. I don't believe that he was doing anything illegal. This is, again, this is my own interpretation. I'm not alone in this, and I'm going to tell you again why I believe this in just a minute. But I think what he's doing here is I think he worked for somebody who was charging interest to people that he wasn't supposed to charge. And I think what he's doing here is he's saying, you know what? If I'm going to lose this job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to salvage a little bit of my integrity. I've been a part of this scheme for long enough. I've been a part of, of doing what I know isn't right long enough. And so on my way out, I'm going to set the record straight. And, and I'm going to take off all the interest that's been charged to these other people, these Israelites who should not have been charged interest. And, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to salvage a little bit of my reputation, even though so much of it has been lost. Now, now, why do I believe that? Because as you continue to read on and you get to 16, when you get to verse 8, this is what you find Jesus say. This is what he says. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted. Now, my Bible says astutely. Yours might says shrewdly, but the King James got it the best here. Different translations render, I think, better than others. And the King James, it just puts it out. It says he acted wisely. Now, a lot of translations don't like to put the word wise in there for that word because they've assumed that he's doing something dishonest. And so if he's doing something dishonest, why would Jesus say that it was wise so they lend some other type of interpretation to it? But I think Jesus really was saying that he was wise. In fact, when you turn to Matthew chapter 7 and you read in 24 to 27, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you've got the great story there where Jesus says, a wise man is someone who builds his house upon the rock, right? Not the foolish one who builds his house upon the sinking sand. And the same exact word, the same exact word in the, in the Greek that Jesus uses there for wise is the same exact word that he uses in Luke 16. 
So when I read that, which is Jesus' own words, I think that we can only come to the conclusion that if Jesus is calling him wise, that it means that he's moving in integrity because that's the only time that this word wise is ever used in the Bible, is to speak of honorable people doing honorable things. I think he had an aha moment. I think he heard in the parable the prompting of God. He heard the voice and he had the courage to honor him with what he was asked to do. And he stepped into a moment and he righted something that had been wrong. God wants you to have an ear to hear his voice because there's injustices in this world that he might call you to be a part of, to be a change agent in the society that we live in. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. As you continue to read in this, in this parable, Jesus spells it out. He, just, he says it straight up. He says, here's the lesson. He says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, what does that mean? He's talking about death. When your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? Because if you dial your, your, your memory back just a little bit earlier in the services we got started, we started out with Luke 15, right? And the question that Jesus is taking up is, can you be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? So he finishes up this whole sermon with just that very statement. He says, hey, as you live your life, don't lose sight of eternity. Don't forget there's an eternity that's waiting for you when you breathe your last. And when you keep that in your focus, when you become a person that keeps that at the forefront of your thought, when you become that kind of heavenly-minded person, it just changes the way that you live your life. When you live with that kind of focus, when you live with the kind of focus that says, I want to be heavenly-minded, Jesus is saying, hey, those are the people, those are the people. With their material possessions, they're the ones, they're the ones that do the most earthly good. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for everyone that's here tonight. We thank you for the questions that they're carrying. We thank you, Father, for the answers that have yet to come that you can't wait to give. We pray, Father, that, that as we step into this, these few minutes of worship together, that somebody here, somebody here tonight, they're going to feel your voice for the very first time. They're going to feel the whisper that's deep inside. And they're going to begin a journey of knowing what it means to recognize the voice of their creator. For other people that are in this room tonight, as, as we step into this place of worship, Father, I pray for them that, that they recognize your voice all too well. And it's not a matter of not hearing your voice, but there, there's just a there's, a, there's a hesitation to honor you. There's a hesitation to obey you. There's a, there's a hesitation to do what you're asking. And for that person, Father, whatever it is that they've just been reluctant to do, I pray, Father, that courage would well up in their hearts. They would be willing to go on a journey of faith with you. And they would be willing to say to you, God, I know it's you that's speaking, and I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust that you are the creator of the universe, and I want my life to follow after you all the days of my life. I want to be a heavenly-minded person. I want to be someone 
who does earthly good. Let's worship together.